Welcome to the Fast Future with IFAC, where we explore how small and medium-sized practitioners are adapting to a rapidly changing world. I'm Christy Aluzzi, a principal here at IFAC, working with our Small and Medium-Sized Practitioners Advisory Group. One of our key initiatives is working with practitioners around the globe to see what current trends are and how firms are working differently in our evolving business environment. We've been honored to speak to practitioners from different parts of the world about what they see happening on the ground. For this, our second episode, the advisory group was joined by Ron Baker, an American professional accountant known for his pioneering work on value pricing. Value pricing is a model in which a firm sets a selling price before the engagement based on the perceived value to the client. It's an alternative to pricing models that are based purely on the cost of the service, market price, or competitor's price of the service. Ron's career as an accountant began at a big eight firm. He started his own firm in the late 1980s where he experimented with elements of value pricing. He has written, spoken, and taught on the subject around the world ever since. At the top of our conversation, Ron described how value pricing can deepen a firm's relationship with its customers. A lot of firms will say that their aspiration is to be their customer's most trusted or valued partner in this changing world. Uh, Sometimes you hear trusted advisor. There's all sorts of terms for this. We want to be there for our customers. We want to help them succeed. We want not just solve their problems, which we're great at, but also to pursue opportunities, help, help them thrive, help them flourish, if you will. We can deepen the relationship with the customer and thereby create significantly more value by leveraging the capabilities of the entire firm to bring those resources and our intellectual capital to bear to help our our customers. But we can only do that if we have a deep relationship. Pricing changes the dynamics of a relationship because it provides certainty. It provides predictability for the customer, which is what they want. Nobody wants to be surprised by a bill from anybody, their mechanic, their contractor, your plumber. Customers don't want to be surprised. When you focus on value pricing, you less worry about the inputs and the hours and the efforts, and you start to price the customer and the customer transformation. And what I mean by that is when we help a customer move from where they are to where they want to be, that's a very powerful framework, and it's a very powerful way to articulate and communicate the value of what we do as accountants. Ron expanded on the kind of value that a client or customer expects to receive. The customer's not buying our hours. They're not buying our time. They're not buying our overhead. They're not buying how much profit we want to make as a firm. They're buying the results that we create for them. With value pricing, you are now focused on that result on that, what I'm calling a transformation. You're focused on creating that result, just like an eye doctor is focused on getting you the best clinical eyesight. He's not focused on the eye exam and the glasses. And yes, that's part of it. But what you're really buying from your eye doctor is is better eyesight or perfect eyesight. We need to get back to that as professionals because as professionals, we're not paid to do tasks. We're not paid to do a scope of work We're paid to usher in a result for our customers. In a value pricing context, it's the scope of value 
that determines that scope of work. And that scope of value comes from having that diagnostic conversation or what we call a value conversation. You can think about it this way. If you went to a contractor and said, build my dream home, well, they wouldn't know what you meant by dream home. Is that a two-story, three-story mansion? Is it a ranch-style house? Or I mean, until they see blueprints from an architect, they don't know what you mean by build my dream home. To some extent, what I'm saying is we need to be that architect. We tend to dive right into the scope of work before we spend enough time, I think, on the scope of value. Ron offered a few practical examples of organizational changes that help achieve value pricing. So when you start to look at firms that have implemented value pricing, here are some of the things that they have done. First off, value pricing needs to be fully supported by the leadership. It is a C-suite function. In larger firms, you'll start to see that they have assembled value councils. They may have even appointed a chief value officer to help price across the entire firm. Now, this, this varies tremendously by the size of the firm, how many offices, what type of practice, and all of that. But the bottom line is these pricers need to, to report to somebody in the C-suite, preferably the CEO. This is a major function in most businesses now around the world. If you look at you know the Fortune 500, a lot of, of these companies now have pricing teams. And in the good companies, best practices is to have these pricing teams report to the CEO. Sometimes it's the CMO, sometimes it's the COO, but in the good firms that, that get their pricing right, it's the CEO, because this is a really important function. The other thing is to transform a culture of an accounting firm, you have to change hearts and minds. There's a lot of misunderstanding about what value pricing is. There's a lot of questions. There's a lot of unlearning that needs to be done. He continued with an example from his experience as an SMP before turning to business model changes as a driver of disruption. In a lot of firms that I've helped make this transition, early on we created value councils, usually multidisciplinary practice groups. So you have somebody from audit, somebody from tax, maybe consulting, whatever other areas that you practice in, and you develop a multidisciplinary team. And these people would help other partners or others who do the pricing would help them look at it and help them develop protocols and other processes to help them price better and more align the price with the value. What this really is, folks, is it's a business model change. And I think that's one of the things, one of the reasons why the adoption curve was so slow at the start when we started talking about this in 1994. Business model changes in professions are hard. <laughs> They're very difficult because we've all been taught a certain way how to practice. There's a lot of precedent for it. But like Andy Grove here said, the late Andy Grove, founder of Intel, disruptive threats don't come necessarily from new technology. They come from new business models. You see this with Uber. You see this with Airbnb. You see this with Spotify and streaming music. You see this with Amazon. Yes, technology enabled Uber and Airbnb, 
but it's really a different business model. What I mean by a business model is how your firm creates value for your customers and how your firm captures that value. Ron defined two trends that tend to accompany a change in a company's business model. The two things that always change is one, we have a different pricing strategy. So we go from buying CD music, $20 or whatever, for a CD, and then we started buying 99 cents a song from iTunes, Apple. And then when the streaming services came along, Spotify and Apple Music and Amazon and all of that, we just paid a monthly subscription. Those are all different pricing strategies, completely different pricing strategies. Uber uses a different pricing strategy than does taxi cabs. They have surge pricing so they can match supply and demand on a real-time basis. Airbnb uses different pricing strategies than does a hotel uh, like Hilton or Marriott. So that's one thing that changes is the pricing. The second thing that changes, and this is least understood, I think, by most people who embark on a value, uh, uh, a business model change, is your dashboard changes. What you measure, your KPIs, your key predictive indicators, your key performance indicators, those all change when the business model changes. If I'm not selling time anymore, then there's no reason to track it. I don't need timesheets because that's not the basis I'm pricing my services on. Once the price is set, then just do the work and keep the customer happy. Subscription pricing is emerging as another iteration of value pricing with major implications across sectors. What we are seeing now is a big move towards subscription pricing. So rather than value pricing 1.0, which is what we were just talking about, where you price the customer and the customer transformation. What we're seeing now is the subscription model. And the subscription model and the subscription economy is growing rapidly. It's growing some nine times more than the S&P 500. Subscription businesses withstood the COVID-19 pandemic better than non-subscription companies by quite a wide margin. Uh, we're on one of those companies right now on Zoom. The subscription model is a periodic payment for a frictionless and recurring benefit of services. Now, what profession is better at providing recurring benefits, on, on, in our case, on an annual cadence for customers? What makes subscription pricing different? Because again, this is a completely different business model, is it prices the relationship and it prices the portfolio. Subscriptions are easier, they're convenient, they provide peace of mind, and they're frictionless. And customers really, really value that. I think we're starting to see some firms that have adopted subscription. Again, these are the smaller firms, smaller side of the spectrum, and they're having incredible results with this business model. So I just wanted to put that out there because I think this is where we're going next. You know, business models aren't static. They change, and they can change pretty rapidly. Our discussion moved towards attracting and retaining talent and enhancing the relevance of the accountancy profession. Value pricing does help you attract better talent, especially, by the way, if you can go out into the marketplace and say, if you work here, you don't have to fill out a timesheet. 
because the timesheet is universally loathed by accountants in the profession. We all know it, but we don't think there's an alternative. Well, of course there's an alternative. But the thing that I have found challenging about that, yes, we can go out and find talent, but if you bring them into an old business model that is slow to adopt technology, that's not flexible, that doesn't give them autonomy, uh, that makes them account for every six minutes of their day like they were in a prison cell, then you're not going to be able to retain that top talent. That's why I think value pricing gives you a competitive advantage in the marketplace for talent, because if you do it right and get rid of the timesheet, then now you have a differentiator, not only for your customers, but for your talent attraction abilities as well. And firms that value price uh, usually have a waiting list of talent in times where it's very difficult to find. And finally, Ron spoke about building client relationships and valuing the firm's services as more than just a commodity. I think our profession walks around with this idea that we're a commodity, that it is a grudge purchase, but I think that is so flawed. And I don't know if it's a self-esteem issue or whatever, but um, we just have to up our game and up our attitude. I mean, if we don't think we're worth more than our hourly rate, well, our customers certainly never will. So in some respects, you are your first sale. You have to convince yourself that you're worth it. What I like about these models, both value pricing and subscription, is they don't require a firm to move into advisory if it doesn't want to do that work. There's nothing wrong with using value pricing or subscription just to do the standard type bookkeeping, accounting, tax work that they do. They don't have to move up into uh, other levels of work if they don't if they don't want to, but they can still change their offering and be perceived as higher value and therefore command higher prices from their customers. One of the best adopters of value pricing has been bookkeepers, not not CPAs, bookkeepers. And I think one of the reasons is, and this is a controversial statement, but I'm going to say it, bookkeepers have a better relationship with their customers than do CPAs. Why? Because they're out there in their offices. They see them. They're face-to-face with them. And they have fewer customers than CPAs. So they can devote more attention and time and care to every customer. And that goes a long way when you're talking about relationships. And this is a relationship business. And that's a wrap for this episode of The Fast Future with IFAC. Thank you for listening, and please look out for our conversations with more practitioners coming soon.